Hello, this is Alex Granado, Senior Reporter for Education NC, and you're listening to Ed Talk. Today we're talking with Johanna Anderson. She's the Executive Director of the Belk Foundation, and we are talking about the new funding priority that the Belk Foundation is rolling out around equitable access to effective teachers. Johanna, thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me, Alex. So this is a new funding priority that you're rolling out as of today. Let me start by asking you just to take us through the thought process that led to this funding priority. Sure. So Alex, as you know, Belk Foundation has two funding focus areas, K-3 achievement and great public school teachers and leaders. In 2013, we rolled out these focus areas and started putting a lot of emphasis in K-3 achievement, particularly third grade reading. And that additional time and effort and emphasis uh, here locally ended up creating a community effort called Read Charlotte. And we've been deeply committed to that work and continue to um, invest in that area. But about a year and a half ago, the foundation board started asking about whether we had an issue in the great public school teachers and leaders focus area that we wanted to dedicate additional time and energy. And so we went through a full process of interviewing dozens of teachers and principals and school leaders and other foundations and policy folks and really came around an important issue that we saw here locally in Charlotte as well as across the state. And that's the equitable access of effective teachers. We know teachers are the most important in-school factor for students' academic achievement, and yet there is an inequitable distribution of those highly effective teachers. And so, and, and this is kind of a larger issue that gets into a whole lot of bigger problems. For instance, one we've talked about ad nauseum is the idea that the teacher pipeline isn't as robust as it once was, that we have a hard time recruiting Uh, students into the colleges of education to become teachers. And so this funding priority goes beyond that, where even if we had this strong pipeline, then we have the issue of equitably distributing the effective teachers around the state to all areas that need, need them. Sure. So one thing we acknowledge is that there are amazing teachers in every school in every community. The issue is not that they exist, but rather that they are inequitably distributed. So students in high-poverty schools have half the chance of getting a highly effective teacher as their peers in low-poverty schools. And, you know, the reasons for that might be apparent if uh, people think about them, but let's just lay it out. What are are some of the reasons that you think this is the case? Sure. Well, uh, for starters, we know that beginning teachers are more likely to go to Title I and high-poverty schools. These are typically coined, quote-unquote, hard-to-staff schools. They have higher turnover, thus they need to hire more teachers on a regular basis, and beginning teachers get those positions. One of our strategies is we believe that those who have chosen to go into the teaching profession need to be as prepared as possible on day one especially if they're going to be working in um, some of our most vulnerable schools. One way to do that is to pay a lot of attention to the quality of their clinical practice. In other words, student teaching. You know, more of us refer to that as student teaching. And a lot of recent research shows that the clinical placement, so 
where that student teacher does their student teaching, the classroom environment, the school itself, and who their mentor teacher is matters a good deal. And we're not necessarily yet applying that research to practice in those placements. So that's one area that we'd really like to see more emphasis here locally as, as well as at the state level. And, and so um, you're talking about that. But let's talk a little bit more specifically about what the funding priority is going to look like as it rolls out. Yeah. So, so one example related to student teaching placements and supporting mentor teachers as they coach these soon-to-be beginning teachers, uh, we have done some investments over the years with UNC Charlotte's Cato College of Education that has put a lot of emphasis on how to better align the mentor teacher, the host teacher, as well as the university faculty and staff around how they are coaching that um, pre-service teacher. Um, so that's one investment that we've made. Um, we would, you know, a lot of this um, emphasis will go into taking research to practice. Um, so helping better communicate and help other colleges of ed apply that research to their own practices in student teaching. Let's talk about just kind of why this is so important and, and you know, the the essence, the essential nature of having teachers be effective and have them be evenly distributed throughout the state. Why is that such a crucial thing? The teachers are the most important in-school factor for students' academic achievement. And um, we know that a lot goes into that student's um, success in school. Uh, but this is an area that the Belk Foundation has had years of um, researching, investing, getting to understand the landscape. And we believe there are a lot of other practices um, that are not yet being utilized to their full extent here locally and at the state level that increase the odds that students who are low income and or of color get access to those highly effective teachers. And um, so let's talk a little bit about the larger mission of the Belk Foundation and how this plays in to some of the existing projects you guys are doing. Great. Um, so as I mentioned at the beginning, we have um, a fo two focus areas, K-3 achievement and great public school teachers and leaders. Um, the way that we think about our two strategic issues of third grade reading and now equitable access to effective teachers is this is a way for us to really hone in and better understand a particular issue so that we can convene experts, um, promote best practices of our grantees and research. And so we think of it as our efforts beyond grant making. Yes, we will uh, put some funding behind this, absolutely, that's what foundations do. Um, but our we have a very engaged board, grants committee, we have a great national advisory group that has formed around this new strategic issue. And so um, f honing in on this one particular issue helps us um, put some more consistency in messaging and um, better align efforts towards this end. So you've talked a little bit about beginning teachers and their role in all this. What about the, the great teachers that are already out there? Yeah, so this is an area that um, Belk Foundation has been investing in for several years now. One of the most promising models that we see out there that is really starting to show results are 
in North Carolina, we call them advanced teaching roles. Um, we're calling them innovative staffing models, really with an aim towards how do we ensure that our most highly effective teachers are increasing their reach or extending their reach to more students, either by teaching larger classes or uh, coaching peer colleagues um, to improve their practice and reaching more students that way. Um, we consider these advanced teaching roles because we believe that um, there's a leadership element to this and they should get higher compensation if they are asked to do more and are, have a further reach with kids. And so as we're talking about advanced teaching roles, we're talking about, you know, teachers changing how they operate, but this is also going to mean a change for how principals operate vis-a-vis -vis teachers. These innovative staffing models are wholly reliant on principal buy-in and their ability to lead this change in the schools. They are a critical ingredient to the change management and um, belief of, of, of these models. Um, principals have to have tools at their disposal to help them make these staffing decisions. And um, we spent a lot of time last summer, summer's my time to sit down with principals and pick their brains because they're not quite as uh, wildly busy as they are during the school year. And we had a lot of conversations last summer as they were doing their um, teacher and student scheduling for the year and noticed that the will of equitably uh, staffing great teachers to, to students was there. They understood the importance of it, but every single one pulled up their laptop and showed me a homemade Excel sheet model of how they were doing this scheduling. So they knew that they had great teachers in the building. They had some indicators of that, be there their, their EVA scores or proficiency rates, and yet, um, it, what was so fascinating was seeing that these models were all, you know, homemade, and we thought, wow, this is really an opportunity to, to assist these principals in making these decisions. So great that the will was there. How can we help them improve the skill and reliability of those decisions? You had a great podcast with Andy Baxter, who is now with Public Impact, um, at probably about this time last year, around the topic of student and teacher scheduling. And he can speak much better on the topic than I can. So I, listeners, listen to the end of this podcast, but as soon as you get off, make sure that you search for that um, podcast with Andy Baxter. I highly recommend it. And I'll make it easy for listeners. I will uh, put a link to that podcast in the post for, for this podcast. Great. And I also want to ask you, we had been talking a little bit before we started the podcast about uh, student surveys and um, the importance that you all are finding uh, from the information you can get from that. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So one of the, as we were writing out the, the plan related to this, one of the big questions that we tried to tackle, the perennial question is, what do you actually mean by effective teacher? Right. Um, so in, in essence, we say effective teachers are those who connect with students and positively contribute to their learning and development. The next question is, how do you know? <laughs> how do you measure that? 
And in North Carolina, we largely evaluate based on observations. And there's not much variability in that. And so it's, it's, they're, they're fairly subjective. It's, it's hard to see um, the, the distribution of effectiveness, even though talk to any teacher and they'll say, oh yeah, I know who the best teachers are in my, um, amongst my peers and those who need more support uh, and development. And so uh, we looked at the different measures and, and reliability of those measures. Thankfully, in, in North Carolina, although contentious, we, we still have access to EVOS data, and EVOS data does have variability. So it, it causes us to be able to ask questions about distribution based on what EVOS tells us. But even with that, we find that um, the way that we get a better picture of uh, true teacher effectiveness is missing a critical element, and that's asking the customer the student. Student surveys are highly validated as measures of effectiveness in teaching. And we actually used them years ago in North Carolina during Race to the Top. And um, at one point, they were going to make it into the teacher evaluation. That didn't come to be. Nonetheless, um, the, the research still stands that student surveys, uh, we can learn a lot about how students are being taught, how they are seen and heard and supported in the classroom, how they're being challenged, and there's a lot of um, reliability in that data. So we have great interest in exploring how we can incorporate student surveys um, to tell us as adults how we're serving kids. And, and let's just talk for, for those people who have been out of uh, you know, the K K-12 landscape for 20 years, like me. Um, how does that differ from what, from what people were used to in schools back when they went? Oh, yeah. So still a lot of schools across the state, you know, picture that hallway where you walk down the hall and every teacher has the same class size, um, same expectations, but they, they get paid differently based on their years of experience um, or whether or not they have certain um, degrees or credentials. Um, and yet we know research shows us that there is variation in effectiveness across all of those teachers. And so a teacher who is just knocking it out of the park and is the most amazing you know, eighth grade math teacher may be relegated to the same number of students who get access to her as um, you know, the teacher next door who's a, maybe a first year teacher still figuring things out gets the exact same kids. Wouldn't it be great? And this is happening. Uh, and, and now we know of at least 13 districts across the state that are implementing models where we take that phenomenal eighth grade math teacher and have her coach the teacher next door. Um, so she takes on the responsibility of more of those kids coaching the teacher next door and using innovative staffing models gets paid accordingly as well for taking on that additional responsibility. And more children then benefit from that phenomenal teacher and her expertise. And so this all kind of points to a greater understanding that I think a lot of foundations and policymakers have about education, which is that we have to take kind of the um, essential structure of the education system in a new direction. Do you think that's the case? 
I, I do. I think it is not something that you can snap your fingers and do overnight, right? It's, it's hard to take um, a very standardized model and shake things up um, in any sector, right? And so one thing that we believe is that while these models ultimately need to be um, embedded and sustainably funded, by making trade-offs and decisions and reworking reworking the structure, we have to invest in the support, particularly of school leadership, in helping them lead this change in their schools, and then helping teachers who take on these new advanced roles go from leading students, which they already have a track record of showing they're excellent at doing, to leading adults. You know, it's very different to stand in front of, again, a group of eighth graders, and then have the skills to coach another adult teacher. Um, now, some are you know, absolutely phenomenal at doing this, but it, they do need some support to make that transition. So you're, you already talked a little bit about this, but just to be clear, this, this funding priority isn't an, an entirely new direction for the organization where you all are putting all of your efforts behind this. This is just an extension of other things that you guys are already doing, the things you're already working on, you're going to continue to work on. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. So we are um, putting out a new impact plan today that'll be on our website that explains um, the entire grant-making program about a half of which we'll, we'll maintain within K-3 core achievement. Um, the emphasis of that continues to be third grade reading. And in the great public school teachers and leaders, we continue to fund across the talent pipeline for recruiting, developing, and retaining great educators. But the new emphasis, particularly in our beyond grant making time and uh, convening and advocacy, will be more focused around equitable access to effective teachers. Okay. Well, Johanna, thank you so much for talking with me. Thanks, Alex. We've been talking with Johanna Anderson. She's the executive director of the Belk Foundation. And I'm Alex Granados, senior reporter for Education NC. You've been listening to Ed Talk. Thanks for listening. <laughs>